Welcome to Fleet News Group Podcast. I'm Caroline Falls and today I'm speaking with Adrian Givoy, General Manager of Red Book Australia, a unit of carsales.com. We're at the Australasian Fleet Managers Association conference in Sydney and Adrian's just given one of the most interesting talks covering residual values, something every fleet manager cares about. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you, Caroline. Wow, you covered a lot of fascinating points. Uh, Let's start pretty much where you ended, and that's looking at rising new vehicle prices and how that's leading used car prices higher, uh, putting fleets with end of lease vehicles, as I think you said, into a happy place. Uh, Can you talk to some of those points? Sure, sure, Caroline. Yeah, so uh, obviously, you know, the the COVID crisis that took over the world sort of put a lot of pressure on various OEMs to to um, obviously relook at their their production capabilities and capacity, and potentially adjust the vehicles that they were able to make during that period um, of supply shortages and components. We've also additionally seen in line with some of those material cost pressures that came with building those cars during that period, some price rises for, for you and I, the, the, the end consumer. And again, that in relation to also some rationalisation that's taking place across various segments in cars and brands, we've seen average prices in general across a basket of sort of the top selling vehicles across segments you know, rise upwards of 11% in the last sort of three to four years. And that obviously has a direct impact on the used vehicle market, as the relativity that we see between new vehicles and used vehicles has to, to maintain that walk for a used vehicle perspective. Um, before I go on with some other sort of residual value uh, discussion points, uh, just Fill us in, you know, let our audience know exactly who Red Book Australia is and um, how you came, you know, to join them. Sure. So Red Book has been researching uh, price and specification for the auto market for over 70 years now. Um, we operate in nine countries around the globe and our, you know, our, our core business is to basically study the auto market, you know, with all the specification features that are available and new vehicles and um, make that available to the the broader community and it's used um, broadly across the car sales network to power the digital marketplaces of carsales.com.au, bikesales.com.au and various other verticals including boats, um, uh, caravans and trucks. And yourself, you haven't been there a real long time. No, I have. I just joined the organisation six months ago now, and I, I've came out of the uh, OEM space where I've sort of spent oh, over 20 years working for a variety of sort of volume mainstream brands as well as some premium luxury ones as well. Um, now, I'm always interested in my podcast to talk about things like circular economy principles and practices. And I think maybe you were alluding to them when referring to OEMs becoming more involved in vehicle life cycles and even getting into maybe buyback uh, from fleets as they turn over their vehicles. So, like, what is happening? Are OEMs taking increasing responsibility for their products' lives? I think every uh, OEM feels that they would like to, you know, contribute to 
the entire life cycle of any product they have on their in, in their in their brand portfolio. And one of the things that we've seen as a as a, a shift to a new go-to-market model being agency and, and various other direct customer models is that OEMs are taking a, a more active role in in all the ownership, so to speak, of the whole experience, including the used car um, uh, trade cycling. So with OEMs taking a, a bigger stance in that direct to customer model, we will see the traditional practices of vehicles being traded in through independent retail channels, <clears throat> and I'm talking about dealers here mainly, um, potentially not happen as prevalently as it once, once did. So they will be bringing those vehicles back into a controlled franchised environment that allows the vehicle standards, the customer experience, and ultimately the prices to be upheld to what the OEM would like it to be. Wow, there's just so much happening in this uh, sector at the moment. It's incredible. Um, another thing I'm also curious about at the moment is what's happening with insurance of EVs. And I'm wondering if EVs are, say, like double the price of a, a comparable ICE vehicle, but most accidents are sort of occurring parking lots and you know they're just sort of small dingles like how an insurance company would price ev risk but um whether you can talk to that point or not i'm not sure but you mentioned some overseas experience of evs being warehoused and difficulties in repairing batteries so can you talk you know anything about insurance and where ev premiums are at in the moment yeah, in Australia? Look, yeah, no, sure, Caroline. I'll, I'll comment on as much as I can. It's not like our direct wheelhouse, mm. but certainly some observations that we've read, we've read quite widely, uh, you know, mainly coming out of Europe and the US where they're a little bit more advanced than we are in their EV journey, is that, yeah, they are experiencing, you know, some some more challenges around um, repair and, and, and what constitutes a, a write-off when a vehicle, an electric vehicle, has been involved in a, in a heavy accident I'm talking about here. So... Again, it's something that we will, we're just, we're, we're being observant of. And, and I think, you know, any of the conversations we've had locally, a colleague of mine spoke with the Insurance Australia Council and the, the premiums that are being asked over a standardised vehicle for, an, for insurance purposes right now are not markedly higher right now. But that might be because we're still very early in our EV adoption. And again, the, the, the accident experience, the incidents that we're seeing aren't, on the scale that they they might be experiencing in Europe or the US. I also found your cautionary words on government policy fascinating. So you said something along the lines of uh, that you it'd be better for us to see a consistent, steady, incremental policy adjustments, and um, you referred to some uh, anecdotes about dis how disruptive policy changes can be. Uh, for example, in New Zealand at the moment and in China late last year. Mm. Can you sort of share those anecdotes with our audience? Yeah, sure, Caroline. Look, and, and certainly the stuff going on in New Zealand is a really positive thing. Every, every, I think everyone's wanting to see um, cleaner cars on our roads. And I think uh, New Zealand's been very progressive in, in their policy rollout. It, it, it's, I suppose it's just we're talking about the speed and, and the depth of the policy and how quickly a marketplace can can adapt to these kind of changes. Um, and, I, and I think I drew, I drew a comparison or, uh, with what went on in 
China, the world's biggest auto market in last year with with the government removing subsidies associated with the EVs and, and, and the response from some of the EV brands in those markets to maintain that relativity with ICE vehicles. Um, and so the natural way to do that was to discount the EVs because they still have a, pro, they have a raw material premium over ICE vehicles at present. So the only way to bridge that relativity gap and make it more attractable to and attainable uh, sorry, attractive and attainable to, to, to buyers is to, to, to potentially reduce the price on those vehicles and thus it, it, it creates a lot of volatility. Yeah, incredible, isn't it? Um, you don't know what to expect. Um, another thing you talked about was fleet buyers who pretty much account for some 50% of new vehicle, of the new vehicle market. Um that they not only look for fit for purpose, they also do look for residual value at the end of, you know, um, projected time. So say their fleet is, you know, generally about three years the turnover. But with EVs, it's all a bit of an unknown, isn't it? And, you know, they're desperate for info. So, you know, how do they project their residual values? Like, what can you tell them? That that is that is the sixty four thousand dollar question. Um, what are what are EVs worth in three or four years' time? And I, I think I, I I spoke to the room earlier, and it's about obviously um, right now there really isn't an established um, and effective EV market place for used vehicles. Um, we have one brand uh, represented predominantly in that space. You know, um, over seventy percent of all the vehicles being. Um, of those two models and again that that doesn't represent I suppose a, uh, a a true marketplace for used vehicles a the price point may be above some people's um, affordability levels and also the vehicle application and segments that those vehicles currently sit in may not be relevant to the to these secondhand buyers so I think from from an EV perspective, where we see more options come to market in different categories, and I'm talking the inclusion of seven seat SUVs is probably one of the big obvious areas for an EV to 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 appear. And I, I do know there's a couple of brands which you know are not far away from launching similar type of vehicles. And additionally, as I talked about, uh, a viable dual cab Ute or even a single cab Ute. Um, once those type of vehicles come more readily available, I think we'll start to see the, the used market um, become a little bit more effective for, for EVs and we can then more confidently project what their value might be in three or four years' time. Another thing you talked about that really got my curiosity because I haven't heard many people really articulate this point and that is that in Australia, you know, we're, we're going after the bigger bigger and bigger SUVs, bigger and bigger utes. And it's just like a real mismatch with how we're supposed to be wanting a cleaner environment and going for low emissions vehicles. Um, we're going for these, I mean, how are we going to solve that? Nobody sort of wants to put their, any words to it. Uh, no, look, Australians, as I said, Australians love affair with the large SUV and and and, and dual cab utes and, and big dual cab utes now is is um, uh, yeah it seems at, at odds and a contradiction to to perhaps what what's going on in the in the broader global uh, 
uh, outlook in terms of wanting more greener cars and and the cost of living crisis so um yeah that's a good one i don't have the answer to it but um i'm yeah yeah i'll I'll leave it for now i mean (laughs) there are a lot of points i'd like to talk to about it for example um you know the bigger the vehicle the heavier the battery and then you know there are sort of cashed up uh older generation people that in the consumer side at least that are buying those vehicles mm. and that's a mismatch again with who's in the used car market to buy the second-hand vehicle like younger millennials who might be greener like yes yeah Look, there's, there's a few problems down the road there's definitely um uh, from the younger generations the um, the millennials and the, the gen z where we're certainly seeing a, a, a predisposition to, to greener powertrains uh, and also affordable ones at that but they don't have the means to to stretch into these uh, price brackets that are, you know, approaching on $100,000. Um, so we, we need to make more affordable options available to them and, and broader than just battery electric vehicles. We, we need other green powertrain options, hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and, and potentially hydrogen, a few others. And um, can you offer our audience your insights and reflections on how transformative the market is at the moment for example how new brands that we never even considered a few years ago making inroads into fleet and um you know are there any sort of like buyer beware at the moment you know particularly fleet buyer beware because yeah look i i think you know covid taught us a few lessons and some of them not as pleasant as others but the the laws of supply and demand are, are universal there was a period obviously where traditional um, fleet brands were, were unable to fulfill the, the, the demand um, and that opened window for obviously these challenger brands to enter the market and, um, and, and support these fleet businesses during a period where they needed this. So I think there were some positives from that respect is that we got exposure to a lot of these challenger brands and we've actually probably learned that you know they're, they're much better than perhaps people had um, considered and Again, I think uh, having more options also places the marketplace and more competitive, and I think that can only be a good thing. Where challenger brands are bringing new new models in, we've never seen so many electric vehicles come. And I'm talking, you know, countries like China have an enormous array of electric vehicles available, and affordable ones at that. So I think. It's positive that we can get more access to to these more affordable options. Um, time will tell as to how that these vehicles will will um, hold up. But again, early signs are that you know uh, it's only a positive at this stage. Um, well, you just mentioned like the COVID effect on the market, and you did talk about that today, and how it will have what you called a very long tail. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you would. You know expand on that here for us yeah so I, I mentioned that obviously when you have a sustained shortage in production for, for you know upwards of two and a half years and, and, and sometimes longer in some of the brands that we're, we're experiencing that 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 cannot be caught up quickly um, uh, OEMs as much as they'd like to respond to that um, you know that the production deficit from two or three years ago um, the demand keeps snowballing so we're in a kind of this awkward situation where they'll be constantly chasing their tails. So that sustained shortage in new car production translates to a, a, a distinct and sustained dip in the used car market because those large fleets that typically 
would access their vehicles and turn them over you know within that 12 month cycle haven't been able to do so and therefore we have a we have a bit of a, a shortage of, of, of young used cars if I call that and that will then also translate to, to, to older used cars that have availability for the marketplace so yeah it, it is going to have a long tail I think that's what will probably assist in used cars staying a little bit more elevated for a little bit longer um, and again as new cars come into the marketplace more options um, it will even itself out with time but and again probably good news for those people who uh, have, have got a used car that they'd like to trade in maybe not great news for someone who's looking for a used car still I think I can squeeze in one more you mentioned something about like a couple of years ago everyone was just talking hybrid 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 and then all of a sudden surprisingly everyone's just talking battery electric vehicle battery electric vehicle what happened are you surprised uh look i i'm not i'm probably not surprised i i, I suppose i think um it's the optics of it you know battery electric vehicles are it's uh it's a it's a, it's a popular theme right now global globally um Again, I think Australia's probably just catching up with the rest of the world, um, by and large. And I still think that you know there's an enormous relevance for hybrid, probably more so in our market. Um, and it's great to see the, the, the acceleration in, in battery electric vehicle discussions and, and education around what how viable is this for our market. And in many cases, it's very viable. The AFMA conference this year has been huge. It's really popped. There are something like 700 delegates here. And I think that part of uh, the draw is that there's so much happening and everyone is thirsty for so much information. And thank you very much, Adrian, because I think you provided a lot of uh, incredible uh, material for us to think about and what we're just all so excited about as well. So thanks for your time today on our podcast. Pleasure, Colin. You've been listening to Fleet News Group Podcast. It was edited and produced by Isabella Fiorentino. You can follow us on Spotify. Just search for Fleet News Group. We're also on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Our website is fleetnewsgroup.com where you can get all of our stories, videos and podcasts. Until next time, drive safely and take care. Thank you.